I'm your host, Steve Lascalzo, and this is The Way. Welcome to the October 2021 This is The Way podcast Star Wars news update. The Mandalorian Season 3 is finally in production, but it is still far, far away from airing on Disney+. In between seasons, we're trying to bring you updates to keep our podcast in your feed and keep you informed, but Season 3 should start streaming sometime next fall. That means more than a year between Chapters 16 and 17. More than a year and a half, really. Shows like Andor and Obi-Wan are set to air earlier in 2022, and there's something coming in December. 71 days till Christmas, but you're going to have to wait a little bit longer for The Book of Boba Fett. I'm sorry. Four days longer. It will stream on Disney Plus on December 29th. That's right. The show revealed the debut date for the first season of Fett back on September 29th. So three months between the announcement and the first episode becoming available. It came with a nice poster reveal, too. It's Boba Fett on the throne, right where we left him after last season. His armor appears a little different from what we saw in The Mandalorian Season 2. It's got more wear and tear on it after his repaint. He's wearing new pants, I think, and he's also got a shiny belt instead of a belt of bullets. No sign of Fennec Shan, but we know she'll be there too, and I have to imagine she'll get a poster at some point. We sent out a few tweets about it, and we hope you noticed them. Make sure you're watching on Disney Plus Day, November 12th of this year, for a special behind-the-scenes look at Boba Fett, and Ming-Na Wen says she has done a promo for the show too. I got separated from my friends. I can help with that. Not to worry. Cufflinks.com is partnering with us again this year, and if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably wondering who won the first of our giveaways this fall. But since it's October, I realized it would be premature to announce a winner for October while the month still has a few weeks left. So we will announce a winner in November for October, then in December for November. Does that make sense? This is also going to give me more time to get more of you involved. Now, please, if you're listening, enter. Well, and shop, too, at cufflinks.com. They're allowing our listeners to take 15% off their purchases by entering The Way 15 at checkout. The Way 15 gets you 15% off everything in your cart, everything, site-wide, no minimum to buy. If you're spending at least $175 after you load up your cart, Enter a different code, though, for even more. 20% off if you spend at least $175 and use their site code of Fresh Looks, still active in October. You're going to get finely crafted accessories, cufflinks, of course, but tie bars, money clips, shirt studs, lapel pins, ties, socks, and more. Now, if you don't win our first giveaway, guess what? You have another chance in November. Our second and last of the year, as a matter of fact, but it will be, again, an honest-to-goodness, no-purchase-necessary giveaway. And I will announce that winner in December for November and November for October. And you'll once again get an item from their catalog of more than 3,000 products, all sorts of brands, Star Wars-themed. This is going to be different. Our, Our winner is once again eligible and can win both in October and November and could win items from our Marvel this is the way Phase 4 podcast giveaway running concurrently. The catches still apply, though. To avoid any chance that there's any legal issues, 
I have to limit the giveaways this year to U.S. residents and addresses only. I'll try to figure something out if we have another giveaway for next year. Here's how you enter, though. Once again, you're going to need to follow our Twitter account. But if you are already, you're done with that step. There's a pinned Twitter post on our Twitter feed with the active coupon code. Follow our Twitter account, then reply to that pinned tweet. In that reply, include the hashtags this is the way podcast, cufflinks.com, and the way 15. You can copy and paste right from that tweet that you're replying to because I put them in there. I even showed you how to do it in a reply from my own personal Twitter account. You're not done though, remember. You got one more step to enter. I, I have to verify you. In order to have an official entry in the giveaway, I need to make sure you're eligible. And to do that, you have to email us. First, you need the link to your reply in our tweet. Not a link to our tweet, a link to your reply. You can find that link to your tweet after you've replied by going to the share button. Email that link to us along with your name and a mailing address in case your entry is chosen. After an entry is chosen, I've got to check that email, check the Twitter account to see if it's a follower, and check to see if the address is in the 50 United States. Yes, it can be a P.O. box, but I can't mail it outside the country. I'll check to make sure the Twitter account is not a bot set up to enter contest because I don't want just imaginary followers. I gotta verify the follow, the tweet, reply containing the hashtags, and the email with your address. Now, if you wouldn't mind putting October, or if you're listening later uh, for the November giveaway when it's active, November giveaway, October giveaway, or November giveaway as the subject line of your email, that's gonna make it easier on me. Our email address is this is the way podcast at gmail.com. Cufflinks.com is an exclusive, officially licensed provider of cufflinks for these brands, but they offer so much more like ties, tie bars, socks, lapel pins, and more. We mentioned that. Help me thank them, though, by partnering with us for that second year in a row, by growing our follower list and maybe theirs at the same time. When I left you, I was but the learner. Now I am the master. And now for the news. The big news is certainly the release date for the start of the Book of Boba Fett, but what about The Mandalorian Season 3? Our research has the show currently in production and shooting scenes in the volume for episodes that will probably, hopefully, air next fall. Grief Karga, Carl Weathers, uh, had a tweet that he was actually involved now in, in filming scenes for Season 3, so that means we have some confirmation that they are filming. Disney Gallery has two episodes dedicated to behind-the-scenes work on Season 2, and once ILM won an Emmy for work on the show, the group released a YouTube video highlighting the achievements in special visual effects, which won them the award. Some of the things discussed are the Great Dragon, work on Crash of the Razor Crest in Chapter 10, The Passenger, work on Chapter 11, The Heiress, the full CGI chase scene at the end of episode 12, The Siege, and then they skip the Ahsoka-led episode of The Jedi, the Boba Fett reintroduction by Robert Rodriguez of episode 14, The Tragedy, and then they pick back up with work on chapter 15, The Believer, with things like the prison junkyard, planet background, mechanics behind the interior scenes in Boba Fett's ship, you know, the one they're no longer calling Slave One, and some of the infiltration on the Imperial base on Morak, and then also a little on ships in space and the work on Luke in Chapter 16, Believer. I hope I don't have to tell you about spoilers at this point. Star Wars Obi-Wan Kenobi cast and crew got their wrap gifts, which include a twin sunset thank you card 
and some hats and shirts. I first noticed the merch being modeled by Bonnie P.S., who plays Aunt Beru in both the prequels and in the show coming out next year. She had it posted to her Instagram page. Actor Kumail Nanjiani is apparently going to have a big role in the show. According to an interview he gave to Rolling Stone, he described both being intimidated because of scenes he had with Obi-Wan, meaning Ewan McGregor, and also how he's seated at some kind of a desk. It sounded like he was in a ship in space, based on his description of his work in the volume. He also mentioned the discussion he had with his agents where they described the role to him as being substantial. Now, from the prequels to the sequels. Marshall Lucas is not a fan of the Disney-produced Star Wars movies. Does that last name sound familiar? It's because Marsha was married to George Lucas from 1969 to 1983. I'm using her first name here because just to say Lucas might make it confusing with her ex-husband being George. So Marsha spoke with J.W. Rensler for his final book, Howard Kazanjian, A Producer's Life. I hope I said that right. From Hitchcock to Peckinpah to Spielberg and Lucas, 50 Years of Collaboration that was published last month. She was not shy about slamming what Disney has done. And I want to just read what she was quoted as telling Rinsler because whether you agree or not, Marshall Lucas had a lot of influence on George, not just during the making of all three original Star Wars movies, but before that, and not just in his ear as a wife. She's an award-winning editor and suggested major plot points that George ended up using, like, oh, I don't know, Obi-Wan's death in Episode Four. She won an Oscar for editing that movie with two others and co-edited Return of the Jedi and went uncredited for her work on Empire Strikes Back. She also edited George's movie American Graffiti and what might have been one of the contributing factors to her eventual divorce, worked with Martin Scorsese on Taxi Driver and Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. This woman had clout and talent, so her opinion matters. Here's what she said. Again, this is Marsha Lucas in J.W. Renzler's book on Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi producer Howard Kazanjian. She says, I like Kathleen. I always liked her. She was full of beans. She was really smart and really bright. Really wonderful woman. And I liked her husband, Frank. I liked them a lot. Now that she's running Lucasfilm and making movies, it seems to me that Kathy Kennedy and J.J. Abrams don't have a clue about Star Wars. They don't get it. And J.J. Abrams is writing these stories. When I saw that movie where they kill Han Solo, I was furious. I was furious when they killed Han Solo. Absolutely, positively, there was no rhyme or reason to it. I thought, you don't get the Jedi story. You don't get the magic of Star Wars. You're getting rid of Han Solo? She continues, and keep in mind, she gave this interview to Rensler in between The Last Jedi and The Rise of Skywalker. So when she talks about the last one, she means Episode Eight. And then at the end of this last one, they have Luke disintegrate. They killed Han Solo. They killed Luke Skywalker. And they don't have Princess Leia anymore. And they're spitting out movies every year. And they think it's important to appeal to a woman's audience. So now their main character is this female who's supposed to have Jedi powers. But we don't know how she got Jedi powers or who she is. It sucks. The storylines are terrible. Just terrible. Awful. You can quote me. J.J. Abrams, Kathy Kennedy, talk to me. And that's the end of her quote. Now, I doubt they care what she thinks, but maybe a little bit they should. I'm well aware that many people, for some reason, defend Ryan Johnson and J.J. Abrams and Kathleen Kennedy and actually do like the last two films. But I can tell you, as excited as I was 
going into The Last Jedi, and as hyped as I was, that was the beginning of the end for me. I grinned and bared The Force Awakens because there was a world out there which was full of possibilities. It wasn't the movie I'd have written, but I was absolutely fine with The Force Awakens, even to the point of Solo's death. The problem, of course, is that my opinion, Episode 7 set up things that never came to pass. Carrie Fisher passing away did not help, but the story was bad from the beginning. It told us stories we didn't expect, but didn't expect because we didn't want them, and also were never ever set up by any of the previous movies that we had seen. Purposely so, they went against what was expected, I think maybe because of some of the criticism that was surrounding The Force Awakens being that it was so much like, you know, A New Hope or the first few movies. Taking a 30-year jump without showing his change should have meant to Disney, to Kennedy, to Johnson, that their hands were tied. It should have meant to them, we have to show this change. We can't just assume people are going to accept it off screen. It fundamentally changed things about the universe and the characters we grew up loving for the sake of one or two people having creative freedom on an intellectual property they had nothing but a financial stake in at the end of the day. They didn't create Star Wars, they're just taking over. I am sorry if you disagree with me, but I've got Luke Skywalker before the movie telling me he didn't agree with changes made to his character, whether he wanted to or not. Yes, I know it's Mark Hamill. He lived with those character moments in his life for 40 years, and now the wife of the creator of the story, who had been around at least eight years before the first one was released, is telling us that the people in charge of the movies didn't know what they were doing and didn't care or didn't know about the heart of Star Wars and told terrible stories. You and I, we can all have different opinions and still love Star Wars, but this is the kind of it's, it's vindication for those of us who think the fandom is worse off now and who expressed dissatisfaction. There is a schism now between fans, and there wasn't before. It's okay to like the new movies. I would certainly watch any of them except The Last Jedi, which I consider not just the worst, but the most un-Star Wars of all the movies or shows. Marsha makes great points, and she's earned the right to share them with her awards. Her tenure in that inner circle. Her talent and skill being respected by one of America's greatest filmmakers. As for the book I mentioned, it was J.W. Rinsler's last. It's because he died in early August of pancreatic cancer. The longtime author and editor for Lucasfilm and Lucas Books was a historian of sorts, chronicling behind-the-scenes work in print for the prequels, sequels, and if you have an art of or making of coffee table book, there's a good chance he's behind the creation of it. He's credited on two episodes of The Clone Wars as a writer, a two-parter featuring Mace Windu and Jar Jar Binks, and a storyline featuring cultists led by the Night Sister leader, Mother Talzin. They were trying to extract life force from Jar Jar's love interest, their Bardotten Queen Julia. Rinsler was best known for the collective works, though, and even went back and put together books on Return of the Jedi, Empire Strikes Back, the original Star Wars, and even Indiana Jones Raiders of the Lost Ark. He didn't just score the coup of Marshall Lucas, either. Rinsler interviewed Mark Hamill for that same book, and rather than rehashing comments he made about his character, he shared, he's a fan of the darker story told in the prequels. That's right, Luke liked The Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, and Revenge of the Sith, which all support the turn 
of his on-screen father, Anakin, I guess, and make Luke's accomplishment of reaching him and turning him so much more impactful. I would agree. That's coming, of course, from someone who watched The Phantom Menace in theaters about 27 times, and probably at least 25 of those times with my best friend Greg. The one issue I take with the article is Hamill's quote about how Lucas considered the prequels less commercial. Now look, I was an adult by the time the prequels came out, so I'd have to disagree. I saw the advertising push, and the prequels weren't in competition with anything, not even the Lord of the Rings movies, which only one time came out in the same year, and Attack of the Clones came out in May of 2002, with the first two Rings movies coming out in December of one and December of 2002. Maybe that's how George envisioned them, though? Not commercial and just efficiently marketed, perhaps? Well... Longtime Lucasfilm PR director Lynn Hale is retiring by the end of this year, which means the Book of Boba Fett may be her last marketing campaign for the company. Her career spanned 35 years, and her first big campaign happened to be the prequel trilogy and the special edition re-releases in the late 90s and early 2000s. She worked not on just Star Wars properties, like rolling out the very successful campaign for the release of The Mandalorian shows on Disney+, but anything Lucasfilm had a hand in like The Adventures of Young Indiana Jones and Red Tails. George Lucas, Kathleen Kennedy, both of them released statements on her retirement, so she was someone they valued. Her time with the company started around the same time Ewok's Battle for Endor was the show getting nominated for Emmys. I wonder if the Disney Plus Day offerings is actually the last campaign, because they've already found her replacement, according to The Hollywood Reporter. Chris Coxall has been with Disney since 2013 and worked with Lynn on every Star Wars release since 2015. He led PR campaigns for Jungle Cruise and Maleficent, but will be in charge of Indiana Jones 5 next summer. And Patty Jenkins directed Rogue Squadrons coming out in 2023, the first new Star Wars film since Rise of Skywalker. He'll work with Hale until she officially leaves to make it a smooth transition, but this means He's in charge of what we see advertised about Andor, Obi-Wan, Lando, the Acolyte, Ahsoka, and of course, The Mandalorian Season 3. Yeah? Good. Hello, I'm Steve Lascalzo, and I would like to talk to you about Cufflinks.com. As we get closer to seeing The Book of Boba Fett on Disney Plus in December, we must all realize we have less and less time to shop for that perfect holiday gift. My recommendation to you is go to Cufflinks.com and take a look around. Brand new on the site in October is the Darth Vader Helmet Double Wrap Stainless Steel Bracelet. Beautiful. All Vader Black. It's just one of the new items available this month. This is the way, so you know you're going to get Mando and Grogu, Boba Fett, Vader, R2-D2, Yoda. But you're going to find items featuring Troopers, TIE Fighters, the Death Star, the Millennium Falcon, Lightsabers, Blasters, Walkers, Speeders, Kylo Ren, Chewie, BB-8, a Red 5 Helmet, and folks... I'm not even naming everything sorted into the first two pages of Star Wars accessories. There are more than 3,000 licensed items made by this small, family-run business that happens to be the exclusive, officially licensed provider of cufflinks for dozens of top-name brands. So maybe you love Star Wars, but you're looking for something else, or for someone else. Cufflinks.com has a selection of Disney, Harry Potter, Game of Thrones, Star Trek, DC Comics, and... Fans of our This Is The Way Phase 4 podcast know they've got a great selection of Marvel-themed merchandise as well. 
There are selections featuring top fashion design names, sports-themed items from leagues like MLB, NFL, NCAA, NHL, and the NBA. I mentioned bracelets earlier, so you know it's not all cufflinks. Ties, tie bars and clips, shirt studs and stays, father and son gift sets, lapel pins, money clips, pocket squares, socks, even a mystery box. And if you listened to us last year, you might recall how excited Andy and Tim were to see what and how much was inside of each of those. If you go shopping, enter the way 15 at checkout for 15% off everything in your cart with no minimum to buy. Now, if you spend more than $175 in October, use their 20% off code FRESHLOOKS for even more savings. Whether you want to share your imperial side or let everyone know how much of a rebel you are, cufflinks.com has you covered. Check out cufflinks.com today. You're fulfilling your destiny. More news for you. Katie Sackhoff won't say for sure, but from the interview she gave to Slash Film, it sure sounds like she'll be back for Season 3 of The Mandalorian. One would guess as much since she's on board Moff Gideon's ship and on the bridge. I would think the first task for everyone left on board would be to find out as much information as they can. It would be nice for them to have, say, a droid like R2-D2 to download or scan the data left on Gideon's ship to figure out where Imperial remnants are hiding and maybe as much sellable information to the New Republic as possible. Perhaps this is where the seeds of the Resistance are sown, rumors the Empire has really not gone away. As for possible storylines involving Sackoff, she both speculates and plays coy, saying she knows from talking with Dave Filoni about what her character is up to, but as for whether her story might continue with the unfinished business of the Darksaber, she says that's above her pay grade. I don't think there's any way they can avoid pulling that thread, but she's trying to toe the line, I'm sure. Giancarlo Esposito took the same tack on the night of the Emmy Awards, but like Bo-Katan, it's hard to see how The Mandalorian could enter Season 3 without having some resolution to the Moff Gideon storyline. It could also be tricky if they don't want to explain why we no longer see Cara Dune. For her part, Lucy Lawless responded to fans who fan-casted her to replace Gina Carano, and while appreciative, the former Xena Warrior Princess uh, mentioned that she's already in talks with Disney about working on a Star Wars project. She voiced a character in Resistance, but maybe that recent fan push actually hurt her chances at getting a job. She could, of course, be throwing fans off the scent, and if you had to recast Cara Dune, I gotta admit, Lawless in acting, and maybe even action acting, outdoes Carano. Mina Masoud, Aladdin from the Disney live-action version of the movie, made comments about his cryptic Instagram post we mentioned a couple months ago, where he seemed to be indicating he might be cast as Ezra Bridger in a live-action show like, say, Ahsoka. Now he seems to be doing that toe-on-the-line thing, too, because he says maybe he was just indulging in a little manifesting, where, kind of like Rosario Dawson did with Twitter years back, she ended up getting the role of Ahsoka that she wanted. Masoud seems to be trying to ring a bell in some casting agent's head. He would have to fight the voice of Ezra for it, though, at least according to Taylor Gray, who says he's so serious about getting a chance to play the character he voiced on Rebels that he is taking lightsaber training. Now, remember, Ashley Eckstein said she wasn't even really afforded the opportunity to try and play Ahsoka, but I think Dawson ended up portraying Ahsoka very well, so who's to say now who might have done it better? All this talk about actors casting themselves in a role, but I'm still stuck on something about Bo-Katan, Cara Dune, 
Cosca Reeves, Din Djarin, not even getting No one thought to ask the actual Jedi in the room before he left about the Darksaber. I mean, they know it's a lightsaber, and Luke entered the room with his green blade glowing. They know he's a Jedi. They know he can wield a lightsaber. Why didn't they ask him about it? Why didn't they ignite it or give it to him? It's just a missed opportunity there. Separated due to a fundamental difference in ideology. That's cute. You thinking I care. I mentioned a little while back Esposito at the Emmys, but while our September news update told you about seven wins for The Mandalorian out of more than 20 nominations in the Creative Arts Awards portion, on the televised September 19th award ceremony, The Mandalorian struck out. The Crown and Ted Lasso were multiple winners, but none of the nominated actors, directors, or writers, nor the show itself took home additional statuettes. The seven we already knew about last month were the only ones won in 2021. That does double the wins to 14 total at the Emmys over the first two seasons of The Mandalorian and 39 nominations. Two of those Emmy wins, the 14 total, are Ludwig Göransson's for scoring the finales of both Season 1 and Season 2 of The Mandalorian. Fans of that show might be excited to hear he's going to score The Book of Boba Fett as well. Remember, with The Mandalorian, his scores were released on Spotify the same day that episode's first stream. There's no word of the same will happen with The Boba Fett Show. It's also likely that the themes he developed in The Mandalorian for Fennec Shan and Boba Fett will be part of the new show, as well as any other musical cues for characters that might have already appeared and get to make a crossover. We will get to hear more about the show in general on Disney Plus Day, a company-created holiday celebrating the anniversary of the debut of the streaming service. Oh, I remember that day almost two years ago now. The Mandalorian was definitely the big draw for me. There was a Twitter post by Disney Plus that hinted at some kind of Star Wars special, but a press release on the D23 website described it more specifically as celebrating the origins and legacy of Star Wars legendary bounty hunter Bubba Fett. Incidentally, South Korea and Taiwan will be getting access to the service for the first time on that day, with Hong Kong viewers having to wait just four additional days for that debut. Though it's months away from a second season, The Bad Batch is already recording dialogue. Michelle Ang, the voice of Omega, posted on Instagram a picture of her recording in the studio for The Bad Batch. Now, could it be some other project associated with the show? Maybe, but recording is usually the first step so it can be animated to match, so it makes sense, especially if the second season will start like it did this year on May the 4th. Already available is LEGO Star Wars Terrifying Tales, a collection of three stories which uses a crash landing on Mustafar by Poe Dameron and BB-8 as the narrative tool. You can check out our bonus podcast on the special, which was set to go live on October 15th, the day we're recording this. We may try and record an episode for the Christmas Lego special this winter as well, since we only discussed the trailer last year and not the actual episode itself. <laughs> Star Wars Visions came and went, and we were so impressed by the first episode of The Duel that we decided to give each episode a short recap and discussion podcast, even though they'll be brief. Our first podcast about the first episode went live on Tuesday, September 28th, so look backward in your podcast to see how many we've covered between our September and this October news update. I think it's two. Just make sure you listen after you've watched the episode, because we do discuss them. I mean, we're not spoiling anything. I mean, that's the whole point of the podcast, is discuss what's happening in the shows. 
All nine episodes of Star Wars Visions are available now on Disney+. Producer Kanako Shinazaki and executive producer James Wok both talked to CNET about the show and indicated they're very much hopeful that it's received well enough to put together another anthology for a season two and that it's so different from other Star Wars shows that Lucasfilm doesn't feel they are close to oversaturating fans with this kind of content. Critics reviewing the series on Rotten Tomatoes have an average score in the mid-90s and the audience rating right at 70% at the time of this update. Now available digitally as well are the soundtracks to all nine episodes. 73 tracks, I think, can be streamed. Some are very short. A couple might be considered full length. I'm not sure which streaming services carry it, but I do know Spotify does because I checked it out to see maybe I can use it for the rest of the Visions podcasts that we have left. As we mentioned last month, Star Wars Galaxy of Sounds is also now available on Disney+, Plus, going live September 29th. It's a seven-episode assortment of ambience with titles like Wonder, Excitement, Dark Side, Light Side, Beeps, Connections, and Oddities, running between seven and nine minutes apiece. And I have to imagine those soundscapes will end up underneath some of my voiceovers in the future. I will do my best to restrain myself and not overuse it, but I would also imagine someone out there will loop it and put it on YouTube before long. Last month, we mentioned how Robert Rodriguez told someone he can't oversell the Book of Boba Fett, during Ewan McGregor's post-win interview at the 2021 Emmy Awards for his outstanding lead actor in a limited or anthology series or movie, Obi-Wan himself indicated something similar. He was asked about the show and said it won't disappoint and that he enjoyed working with Deborah Chow and with the new technology of the volume that's much different from his work on the prequel trilogy. Nothing world-shattering from his comments, but that category is probably the same one he'd be in for Obi-Wan, so back-to-back wins? I don't think so. Hollywood Reporter's article on the Book of Boba Fett stream date announcement and poster caught the eye of StarWarsNews.net's Grant Davis, who noticed a snippet in there about Disney releasing 11 live-action shows in the next few years. And if the writer of the THR article wasn't mistaken and adding all Lucasfilm stories and calculations, that could mean three or four as-of-yet-announced titles. They're unannounced titles, rather. So let's count the next season of The Mandalorian. We have The Book of Boba Fett, Andor, Obi-Wan, The Acolyte, Lando, Ahsoka, Rangers of the New Republic is only eight. Droids is announced but animated, so not live action, nor is Visions, Biomes, Vehicle Fly-Throughs, Galaxy of Sounds, or anything else not live action. Next several years could be a long time, and there could have been miscommunication, even intentionally by the PR department, to inflate a number or conflate Star Wars live action with Lucasfilm projects like Willow and the Indiana Jones movie, maybe even counting Rogue Squadrons if they consider eventual homes on Disney Plus as being part of a series. Still, that's a good catch by Davis on SWNN, and I thought it worth mentioning and giving him credit. You and I will be working much more closely from now on. So how's that coffee table of yours looking? The Art of Star Wars The Mandalorian Season 2 will be available this December. Phil Sostak put together an edition for Season 2 just like he did for Season 1. The book's going to contain concept art, character and vehicle and weapon and creature designs, interviews with crew and executives in charge like Favreau and Filoni. Doug Chang provides some exclusive artwork too. 
The book is available for pre-order and comes out December 14th, meaning if there are no delays, which there may be now, we're learning in the world, well, if there aren't any, it'll make a nice Christmas gift. The Art of Star Wars Visions by Zach Davison will be released April 12th, 2022. More than 200 pages of concept art, design, star storyboards, anecdotes, but it's going to cost you, Chief, $49.99 price tag. If you're an anime fan, it might be a must-have anyways. More book news, but since it's not High Republic era stories being told, I'll cover it rather than just make you listen to Kristen Baver. Shadow of the Sith from Delray Books will be set in the post-Return of the Jedi universe. Basically, it's going to be Luke and Lando hunting down Ochi, the alien that killed Rey's parents and had the Goonies-like spot, revealing Dagger. You know, that makes no sense. <laughs> you know, Rey used it to find the Wayfinder in the down Death Star in the Rise of Skywalker. Plot hole, uh, plot problem, at least. Well, there's also going to be Brotherhood, also by Del Rey, featuring a Clone War era telling of Anakin and Obi-Wan transitioning from a teacher-student relationship to fellow Jedi Knights. Padawan from Disney Lucasfilm Press is going to tell stories about Obi-Wan's early learning from Qui-Gon Jinn. Sounds interesting, but it might be a young adult novel. Finally, another Disney Lucasfilm Press book, Stories of Jedi and Sith. It's going to be a collection written by different authors. Those books have release dates from May uh, May to July of next year. And these are much more interesting to me than the High Republic era series that have been coming out this year. There's a book out now that transmutes the story of Star Wars into the kind of form you get assigned in language arts class in middle school. Excerpts of The Odyssey of Star Wars are available to read on StarWars.com right now from author Jack Mitchell. He's a poet and teacher who turned the myth of Star Wars into an epic poem like Homer's The Iliad and The Odyssey. There's two things I read from him about his own work here that make me think it's worth checking out. First, he admits he was a fan but not a scholar of Star Wars, placing himself on a scale from 1 to 10 before he started the project about a 6. So I don't think that alone is worth mentioning, except he pointed out that his research ended up exciting him because he saw it as a chance to relate a myth in real time, in the modern day, in the very same way that he studied classically. So he took this seriously, not just as a way to make a buck off Star Wars. Second, he relates how he endeavored to make this accessible to all, but not just a retelling or rehash of the scripts, at the same time, not reinventing the myth that we already know. So search the StarWars.com website for A Tremor Ripples Through the Force, to read the excerpt yourself before you buy. But allow me just a few lines for you here. I'm going to read them to you from his poem. Grinning, the smuggler teases Skywalker. Why, are you spies or theologians? Ha! That antique sword. Perhaps I'll plot a course. To a museum? Boy, it seems you dream of ancient days when some declare the Force secured a settled world. No more of that. If it's just myth, I'll take the gritty truth. If it's the truth, it's better as a myth. Hmm. Do you recognize that little discussion? Luke and Han on the Millennium Falcon? Lightsabers aren't any match for a good blaster by your side kid kind of a thing. I thought it was really good.
There's a neat mobile game available now called Lego Star Wars Battles in the Apple Arcade. Bad news, that means you need to have a subscription to play. Good news, if you do, it looks like it's a fun real-time strategy game without in-app purchases. And that lets you collect in advance. And apparently there aren't the usual in-app purchases that come with most games today. I wouldn't recommend getting the subscription to play, but if you already have it or you're in a free trial period, you might check it out. I think last month was when I mentioned the remake of Knights of the Old Republic coming to PC and PS5. There's still no news about an Xbox version or update for Nintendo, but Switch players do have something to look forward to because there's a re-release coming of the original version of the Knights of the Old Republic coming November 11th of this year. That means the only console that won't have the original version of the game is PlayStation while that's the only console that's going to get the re-release at launch. Xbox owners can already play the original version and have been able to since the game's launch, I believe, but they're going to have to wait for the re-release. Now Nintendo's in the mix, so no, I still haven't played it. Also, you can pre-order some classics right now, physical copies even, for Jedi Knight 2 and 3, Republic Commando, and Star Wars Racer. You can also get Jedi Outcast and Jedi Academy, plus Republic Commando, and the first racer title for PS4 and Switch in a separate, also physical copy release. It's amazing, considering these games came out years ago and the push towards digital, but they're the kind of classics that people might be willing to spend money on again just to have them on their current consoles. The launches for those games, according to StarWarsNews.net, is October 26th. And there may be a new video game coming from a studio called Quantic Dream that feels and plays a bit different from traditional Star Wars games. Kotaku, Bestman Bulletin, and the website Dual Shockers all contributed to a StarWarsNews.net Grant Davis article that he put together that makes a convincing argument for an interactive narrative Star Wars-themed game like Heavy Rain, Beyond Two Souls, or Detroit Become Human. I have not played any of those games. There's also a grain of salt to be taken with it. Kotaku's con contribution being that there will be more traditional action gameplay with maybe even open world and multiplayer elements. So every, you know, news is all over the place. But all this might coincide with efforts by Lucasfilm to revive their old LucasArts gaming studio under the original game, Lucasfilm Games. The intellectual property certainly had misses, but they've also got hits like Lego Star Wars, Knights of the Old Republic, Jedi Fallen Order, and all of those titles are either getting sequels or remakes. There's also going to be new games like Hunters and an Indiana Jones 5 tie-in to cash in on. Disney has also scheduled, you know, releases, press releases for later in December about a new game. We have to take a look and see if more information comes out between now and then. I do like to mention things I see from Hasbro for collectors, you know, from time to time. And there are new figurines for what Hasbro calls the vintage collection of R2-D2, C-3PO, and Boba Fett. They're inspired by the Droids series from the 1980s that, thanks to the reintroduction on Disney+, Plus, kind of have a second breath of air. I'll tell you right now, I saw the images on StarWarsNews.net and the vintage series sells for $16, I think exclusively at Target, and I seriously considered buying all three until I saw the price point. It's hard to resist that R2. The Boba Fett's nice, but there's that vintage collection figure released alongside a Black Series Edition version and 
while the former is cheaper than the latter, if you think you're just going to pick up one of those, you you better go for the Black Series 6-inch. It's very nice. You can also buy a Black Series edition of George Lucas dressed as a stormtrooper. And, well, I wouldn't buy one, but i got to imagine collectors will probably pick one up and then hope it becomes one of those rare things. Although, I have to imagine that too many other people are going to think the same thing. It's like baseball cards, you know? My father once pointed out to me that it's only worth what you can sell it for. So in this case, I don't think the George Lucas Stormtrooper helmet off, of course, is going to be sought after in the future. But maybe. Also, two new initiatives have begun based on Star Wars with ties to merchandising. The first I'm going to mention is Bring Home the Bounty campaign. Every week for the next 12 weeks from around the release of this podcast to December 28th, you know, the day before Book of Boba Fett's available, well, Disney's going to announce new toys, books, video games, merchandise, and more. Now, it says Bounty, but it's probably going to touch on more than the Book of Boba Fett. You know, all Star Wars stories. Not just the big live-action TV shows. It's going to also touch on animated shows, which is the second mention I have. Star Wars Galaxy of Creatures is a series of shorts I found on YouTube and it has a droid, SFR3 or Ari, as an adventure-loving member of the Galactic Society of Creature Enthusiasts. The episodes are available now and short but cute, definitely designed for the young audience of Star Wars Kids YouTube, especially so since there are already pre-orders available on Target.com for several of the creatures as shown in that series. Yes, they're specially making cartoon shorts on YouTube to sell toys. Are you surprised? Just one more thing. Okay, Captain Tiva. If you're a young adult, or as the ad calls it, junior talent, and you want to work for Lucasfilm, Industrial Light and Magic, or ILMX Lab, you can apply to the Jedi Academy. StarWarsNews.net posted a story about openings in the program, which will provide 12 weeks of paid internships in one of the divisions, whether it's production, animation, visual effects, VR gaming, PR, finance, archives, IT, engineering, marketing, art. I'm not sure if all positions require a location out in the San Francisco area, but it feels like it's something you apply for and then figure out later, if you know what I mean. When the Academy finally does signal it's time to apply, it will be on the Jobvite site at Join the Jedi. Go to SWNN and look for the article from Miguel Hernandez dated September 23rd for more information. It's like in Star Wars. Yeah, just like in Star Wars. Go nuts. Okay, don't forget, we do have another giveaway from cufflinks.com. You have to re-listen to this podcast if you missed how to enter. But honestly, that helps us out. I'll once again, hint, involves Twitter and email if that helps. Please go check out merchandise at cufflinks.com. Don't forget to use our exclusive promo code before you check out. The way 15 for 15% off site-wide through the end of the year and maybe through the end of our Book of Boba Fett coverage. If you think we've missed something, check out our other monthly updates earlier in the year, but you can always send us a message. Check out our other podcast as well. This is The Way Phase 4 for Marvel News and another giveaway. As always, you can email us, thisisthewaypodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at thisisthewaypod or on facebook.com at slash thisisthewaypod. Thank you so much for joining me here for our October news update. I'm your host, Steve Lascazzo, and this is The Way. May the Force be with you, 
always.